the best, most popular, most inspiring side hustles of the year. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. It's the business podcast you can actually apply. What a year. We're about to close the books on 2022. And I wanted to take the chance to revisit some of the most inspiring, most creative, most popular side hustles from the last 12 months on the show. If you missed any of these, definitely make sure to go back and add them to your podcast app. I'll link them all up with the episode numbers in the show notes. Just follow the link in the episode description. We started off the year with Johnny Robinson. This was episode 480. I actually sat down with Johnny on his last day of college. This kid is a go-getter. At that time, he built orange window cleaning to almost $700,000 in annual revenue. Simple, local, low startup cost, blue collar business. Here's how it started. I was listening to your show, how I built this, and uh, my best friend Sergio from high school, or actually from middle school, asked me to hang out one day. So I went, we skipped class, we went to the beach, and I uh, and I asked him like what he wanted to do once he graduated, and he told me he was civil engineering degree, and he's like, I want to get my you know good paying job with my benefits, and uh, that's what I want to do. I was like, okay, cool. Well, how about this, dude? Did you know you didn't need a degree to start a business? Why don't we go start a business? And, um, thought nothing of it. Nothing really came of it until a week later, he called me and he's like, Hey, I, I uh, been watching some Gary V and I've been thinking about what you said. I want to start a business. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's, let's start brainstorming. So we just started Googling ideas and, and he was just laying on my bed and he's like, dude, why don't we clean windows? And I'm like, car windows. And he's like, yeah, car windows. I'm like, so you're telling me you want to go stand at the gas station and charge like five bucks to clean car windows. We're not gonna make any money, bro. And he's like, yeah, you're probably right. But I Google window cleaning and I find out it's an actual industry where people get commercial buildings, uh, storefronts, residential, they all need their windows cleaned. And so I started watching some different YouTubers and we're like, hey, we could do this. We watched this one YouTuber and he <laughs> he's like, I sold 48 accounts in 24 hours. My back was against the wall, eviction notices. And now I got these 48 window cleaning accounts. It's that easy. And we're like, why can't we do this too? And that's what that sparked it. And been doing window cleaning ever since. So at the beginning, you were kind of idea agnostic, just scrolling through different lists of business ideas until you find one that sounds somewhat interesting, somewhat doable. Our whole criteria for, for a business to start was that we needed to make money quickly, like be profitable quickly. Okay. Was there any research into the state of the market, the competitive analysis in your local area of like other companies already doing this stuff? Um, not really. Uh, I kind of just sent Sergio 75 bucks and he put in 75 bucks and we bought a bucket, a squeegee and a polo off Amazon and just started going knocking on doors. I didn't even know Yelp or Google my business. Like I didn't know how to, how to do any of that yet. Funny enough. Okay. So this is the startup cost, 150 bucks worth of materials and then hitting the streets, cold calling, uh, just residential neighborhoods, commercial neighborhoods. Like who are you targeting here? We started with storefronts. So like, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. The first store we pitched was this donut shop, right? It's still there. It's across street from my house. And we walk in there and we're like, Hey, uh, can we clean your windows? And they look at us and they're like, yeah, if you do a good job, we'll pay you. Like if, we'll pay you if we like it. Okay. <laughs> We're like, sick, let's do it. We clean the windows and it's like two small little panes of glass. And what now, if like we were still out in the field cleaning the windows, it'd probably take us 10 minutes. It took us probably like an hour. <laughs> okay. And we're still learning. And then uh, they decide once we're done, like, yeah, good job. Like it looks really good, but how about we pay you in donuts? And then they stack a box, a dozen, a dozen size box full of donuts and like the cheesy croissants and stuff. And they give us the donuts and it was like a midday. So they were all, you know, cold and right <laughs> out. But I mean, we were stoked about it. And that was kind of our first job we, we landed. Now, obviously they've come a long way from getting paid in donuts, but the secret sauce for Johnny and Sergio was when they figured out the online side of their business. Going door to door worked, but going online, they were able to reach way more customers. The real turning point didn't come until we started to understand uh, reputation and uh, digital marketing. So one of those cleaning companies actually told us, hey, you need to make a Yelp account. You need to get reviews on Yelp. And so we're like, okay. We just took her advice. We made the Yelp account and we started asking all our customers, hey, can you leave us a Yelp review? Can you leave us a Yelp review? And slowly but surely, the Yelp reviews just started flowing in. 
and uh, we we ranked on Yelp on the first page. And then we started to see so many more jobs come in just organically without spending any any money on Yelp. And uh, we're like, wow, we should do this with Google My Business too. And so we started learning more about different softwares that we could add on to help us get more reviews quicker. Uh, we started to look at competition now uh, at their websites, saw that their websites were bad, like 99%. You can't get a quote online. Okay. How do we do online quoting? How do we make a nice website? And we started kind of just figuring all this stuff out and spending a bunch of money, like all the money we we're making, we started spending on different softwares and different kind of systems. Uh, some things worked, some things didn't. And we just, the stuff that didn't work, we got rid of it. And the stuff that stuck, we just continued to double down on it. And that's the bigger point I want to illustrate is what a reasonably savvy digital marketer is going to be able to accomplish in these traditionally offline low-tech businesses I mean, we saw just earlier this month with Jono and his laundromat by saying, hey, I'm going to add a simple website and a Google My Business profile, start to collect a few reviews. And he was able to substantially increase the foot traffic through the door and subsequently the revenue for that laundromat. For Johnny and Sergio, that meant graduating from washing the windows themselves to hiring help and working with qualified subcontractors, but local home services plus a better online experience for customers And I still think there's a ton of opportunity for you in that space. Be sure to check out that full episode if you missed it, number 480 in your podcast app. And follow along. Johnny is at SqueegeeGod on Twitter. He's a great follow. And now he's helping people start up their own hands-off cleaning services. The second side hustle I found super interesting was Chris Lalini's software white labeling business in episode 494. This model has a lot of the benefits of SaaS, software as a service, namely recurring revenue and strong profit margins without the upfront development cost. Chris described it as a multiple six-figure business, primarily in the reputation management niche, in his case, helping local businesses get more online reviews, where you buy licenses to a software that already exists and solves the problem that you want to solve, and you buy those at wholesale rates and then go out and sell them at retail, and then you provide this layer of consulting and customer support in the middle. What's the conversation like with prospective customers? Because it's like, well, if they could go directly to this software and pay $14 a month versus $97 to $300 for you to run it for them, or I don't know, like what's the, what's the value add layer? And I, I don't know. I'm curious about, <laughs> curious, like, well, where does, where does the margin come from? So they sell it to us, right? At, you know, 10 bucks or let's just say what's more re- reasonable, right? 40 bucks a seat, right? Well, their retail pricing at a minimum is, is 117, right? So that's what they're selling retail because they realize like their cost per, uh, you know, client acquisition or customer acquisition is, is X, right? That, that they're putting a lot of money on that side, right? A lot of these guys will do contracts. So when you sign with them, and this is how really, to be honest with you, as a, you know, a solopreneur, you know, a side hustlepreneur, whatever you want to kind of call yourself, where you can create value that makes your offer more attractive is that I, I don't do contracts. Mine's all month to month, right? So nobody has like, feels like they're being pressured. And I always jokingly say in our, our kind of our sales call, if you will, I said, Hey, look, you know, my goal is to make you so delighted with the results that we're providing that you kind of, you kind of look at your bill every month and you kind of laugh and you go, I can't believe that's all I pay this guy. Right. That's sort of my approach to it. Right. And I also say at the same time, like, Hey, if, if it's not a good fit, and we're not we're not having a good relationship. Like, let's become friends amicably. Like, I don't I don't want to sour the relationship. I don't want you stuck in a relationship that you don't like. Also, you know, if, if you're not a good client, I, I don't want to be in a relationship with you either, right? Kind of thing. And I, I say jokingly, obviously, but the idea there is like, hey, this is an open conversation, right? In that realm. And so where the margin is is in what they retail or charge it for, right? So I'm always kind of keeping an eye on what that is. The powerful thing is is that I don't have a lot of bloated overhead, right? I'm not paying for the software development costs, right? right? That's the thing that really would eat up because I've, I'd thought back when I was a naive entrepreneur, I was like, well, I'll just build this software myself. And I went out and got it quoted. And I was like, just to get a baseline platform was going to cost me about 300 grand. And that was to like, just get something to stand up. And then I was like, yeah, but then what's the ongoing maintenance to keep that thing relevant, especially in the digital world where like, you know, browsers are changing all the time. Uh, All these review platforms are changing all the time. I was like, yeah, you know what? The 10 bucks a month I'm spending per account seems like a fair shake, you know, and I'll just deal with the limitations of the platform. What happens when something does break and customers are upset 
with you because for all they know, you're the guy, you are the creator. Yeah, you know, I, I just, um, honesty and transparency is the best policy. So my thing is just trying to communicate with them. Hey, maybe I, I, I give them the belief that, you know, I've got a team of engineers, but usually I'll just say, hey, the engineers, you know, and I'm not saying my engineers, right? I'm not saying, you know, uh, bird eyes engineers, right? Or whatever the case may be. I'm not saying that their engineers are looking. I'm just saying, hey, the engineers have this for action. They're working through it. I apologize that it's not working. You know, this is a pretty, you know, big change on Google's end and we're trying to kind of navigate it. And, you know, as you know, Google doesn't exactly send out documents on exactly how to cope with their changes to blah, blah, blah. And most people kind of go, oh, yeah, that, okay, yeah, 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 that makes that makes sense, right? So you just keep, keep them in the loop. And most people are pretty understanding, right? I also don't, you know, I'm not operating in the, the realm of heart surgery or neurosurgery, right? So, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, you didn't get a review this week. Like we were working through some stuff, right? But you've gotten a review, you know, every other week, right? So things are pretty, still pretty good, right? So... Yeah. Anyways, I guess it's just just perspective. <laughs> right. You have a little bit less in exchange for some of these benefits. You give up a little bit of the control on on the actual product. And so that's that's something to consider. Again, super interesting business model without as many of the risks and complexity of starting your own software company. That was episode 494 in the archives. If you want to go check it out. And the listener bonus for that one was 20 white label software niches to consider. You can download that for free in the show notes for this episode as well. To continue with the software theme for a moment, I was inspired by Anita Smith in episode 497. We'll call this one number three on the list, software with a service. In Anita's case, it was less of a side hustle and more of a career change. She was laid off from her hospitality job during the pandemic, but took the opportunity to reskill and ended up doubling her salary in just a few months. I went to this binge learning phase where I went to Coursera, Udemy, all those sites to try to like skill up and see what I can do. Um, stumbled upon Trailhead, which is the learning platform for Salesforce. Checked it out for a day. I was like, Psh, I don't have a background in IT. I can't do this. <laughs> okay. I'm never going to be able to change to that career. Fast forward past the learning binge watching phase, the actual Netflix binge watching phase. I went to like a podcast binging phase and I actually heard about someone working in Salesforce and they started this program, Talent Stacker, to help people pivot into that career. I checked it out and I was like, okay, well, let me take their free stuff and see what goes from there. I, I got a lot of value from it. So ended up getting into the program, paying for the paid version and started that in October got my admin certification, um, which is like the minimum certification you need to start a career in Salesforce, and then landed a job uh, a few months after that, making double what I was making as a manager for like a giant company. I was making it, double. Uh, Starting wow. salary Starting for a brand salary. new career. The big takeaway from Anita is that your skills don't have to be set in stone. That and what I call the piggyback principle, how the piggyback principle works is that you Hitch your cart to the popularity of an existing trend or software tool, Salesforce in this case. But we've seen uh, examples from other side hustlers piggybacking on WordPress or ActiveCampaign or Asana or QuickBooks. Lots of opportunity out there. And the good news is new software products are coming out all the time. Side note, we did an episode specifically on Salesforce consulting with Brad Rice back in 2021. That's who she's referring to in that clip. That was episode 441 where he described this nice location-independent lifestyle, making a couple hundred grand a year, working part-time as a freelance Salesforce consultant, which is where that career shift can lead a few years down the road. If that sounds interesting, he's got a free five-day Salesforce challenge where you can learn more and see if it might be a fit for you. SideHustleNation.com slash Salesforce is my referral link. It'll get you over there. Inspiring side hustle number four is getting played to play video games. I mean, how could that not make the list? This was Devin Ricks in episode 499, who reported earning 4000 bucks a month, part-time, from home, playing video games online. And the secret wasn't being a professional esports star, wasn't a professional gamer, but was taking advantage of the OutSchool platform to connect with students. It's primarily for kids age uh, you know, K through 12 to find online classes in both academic subjects and extracurricular topics. 
What OutSchool does is it has created this space where teachers are background checked and parents feel safe letting their children log in online. All the sessions are recorded and then they can play together and it's a good environment for them. Yeah, we would call this a buy buttons platform. You know, go where the cash is already flowing. And here's a platform that has a built-in audience where it's relatively easy. You just got to go through this background check process. You got to come up with an idea of what you're going to teach, but relatively easy to put your thing out there for sale and have people come and do business with you. And actually you kind of sparked an idea here because like my son and his friend in California, like they've hung out on Zoom doing like Lego builds way more than they've ever hung out in person. And it's like, oh, I wonder if there's like a Lego building class where you could do like, okay, different challenges or something. So people with different pieces could still try and build a, okay, today we're going to build a bird or something. Like, I don't know. Um, that would be really interesting. Oh, there's it- definitely Lego classes. I have a good friend who teaches Lego classes. Oh, okay. and yeah. She'll be like, this is the inspiration. You create your own version. And so then everyone's building their own Legos with what they have. But yeah, that's totally a thing. <laughs> oh, all right. Some, well, somebody beat me to it. But so maybe maybe that kind of leads into the next thing. Were there other teachers already doing the video game thing? Or was that kind of like, I'm going to try and carve out this little blue ocean piece of this marketplace? Oh, I certainly was not the first. There are lots and lots of video game teachers. A lot of teachers who teach the exact same video games that I do because I mostly teach Switch games. But the beauty of OutSchool is it's an international platform, right? So there are some teachers in Australia who are doing things that I'm doing, but that I can't do at the same time, right? And then there are teachers in the US and things that are overlapping with my timeframes. But the nice thing is, is there's so many students, so many parents that you can market to that there is plenty of space for educators in any field, not just in video games, but like if you go on there and you look at English teachers, there's tons of them, right? I'm one of them also. I teach a little bit of writing, but there's still room for other people because there's no one who teaches like you do. I bring everything that I have, my own personality, my perspective on games would be totally different than yours, Nick, if you were to teach the exact same video game that I'm teaching. Okay. Did you do anything to set your listing apart when you first started or gain those first few students to take a chance and roll the dice with Miss Devin? Well, one of the best things that I did was I made a good video for my profile. So OutSchool gives you the opportunity to have a headshot, a video, and a description. And if you have those three things and they are really well done, then you are going to find those students. OutSchool likes to promote new teachers. There's also some Facebook groups that you can market your classes, like, you know, $5 off your first class or a free first class or whatever it is. And I did a lot of that as a starting out teacher and I had some success there, but OutSchool just does such a good job marketing for you that you're able to just kind of create your classes, tweak your keywords. And parents want to try new teachers. They like to try new teachers, especially if they have a lower price point. So I didn't have to do anything special for it. You can choose your own prices. They recommend 10 to $15 per student per hour. And then OutSchool takes 30%. Most of my classes are about $13 per hour per student. And then I get to choose how many students I have in a class. So a good example is I have a Breath of the Wild class, which is a Zelda game, and it meets twice a week. And each student pays $13 per day. So they're paying $26 per week. And then OutSchool takes 30%. And in that class, I have 12 students. That is my highest grossing class. 12 students, $26 a week. I bring in a little under 200 for just those two days that I do, those two hours. 100 bucks an hour playing video games. Not a bad gig if you can get it. It's really not. (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. I think it just goes to show you that there's a way to make money online in just about any niche these days. Super inspiring stuff and a lot of fun. Again, that was episode 499 with Devin Ricks. You can find her at MissDevin.com, Devin with a Y, D-E-V-Y-N. Still to come in this episode, risk-free inventory to resell, getting paid to talk, and more. But first, I want to share a tool that's going to save you time, money, and headache in your business, and that's our sponsor, FreshBooks. If you've ever been staring at a tax form, wondering what numbers should go in which columns, or struggled to figure out an overly complex accounting software and I'm raising my hand as being guilty of both of those, this one is for you. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use accounting and invoicing software that makes it simple to send invoices and get paid fast. Plus, it keeps your income and expenses organized so you don't have to be begging your accountant for help the day before your taxes are due. No accounting classes necessary, and FreshBooks' award-winning support team 
is standing by to help out if you ever have any questions. Inside FreshBooks, you'll find everything you need to manage your books like invoicing, expense and time tracking, automated payments, and reports that give you a real-time snapshot of the health of your business. FreshBooks users save up to 11 hours a week by streamlining these tasks, which you know means more time to move your business forward. I want to invite Side Hustle Show listeners to take advantage of a special offer at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That's where you're going to get 90% off your FreshBooks subscription for four months. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle. And big thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring the show. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. ANDS.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. Side hustle number five is reselling furniture returns. This is one of those side hustles I'd heard whisperings about for years, but was excited to finally learn more about how it works this year. Thanks to Sharetown and Stacy Aberto in episode 501. Stacy and her husband reported earning three to four thousand bucks a month as part-time Sharetown reps. So how this side hustle works is Sharetown is the reverse logistics partner for a bunch of different direct-to-consumer mattress companies and furniture brands. What that means is that when a customer decides they don't want to keep the item uh, because all these companies have pretty lenient, you know, risk-free trial periods, return policies, Sharetown coordinates the pickup, coordinates that return request. Those pickup requests get dispatched to local reps like Stacy like other members of Side Hustle Nation who clean up the items, they photograph them, and they list them for resale. Here's how she describes the process. That's kind of the beauty about ShareTown is they're fronting our inventory. We only have to buy our supplies. And supplies for us is about $60. We buy the plastic and the tape to wrap these items and be able to keep them from weather. So that's our upfront cost. Aside from gas and mileage, we don't get reimbursed for that. Sure, We don't have to pay for inventory until it is sold. Okay. Let's talk about that work and maybe walk you through a typical transaction. So you get this notification or this mattress pickup is assigned to you. You say, okay, I'm going out to Scottsdale. My husband and I, we've got a pickup truck, a big SUV or like a trailer sort of thing. Like let's talk, walk me through the logistics here. Yeah. So we personally use a truck. A lot of people use minivans, SUVs. We use a, a truck. So when we get our item, we'll schedule them out and we'll usually plan on two to three pickups per trip. He'll usually go out and pick up these items and then he brings them back and some need a little bit more TLC than others, but We'll clean and sanitize them and then we'll flip them. So Sharetown provides pictures for us, but we also are able to take our own. So I think that's a huge important part of selling is making sure it looks good. It's good lighting, things like that. The longer you do this, the more comfortable you are with each item and the knowledge you have in the brands and things like that. And so I'll have a conversation with the customer and let them know, answer their questions Sometimes they want to come and check out the item or they're just like, Hey, when can you deliver it? And so whatever happens, we'll go deliver that mattress or item. And then once we get paid via Venmo or cash or, you know, all the different options you can receive payment nowadays, um, once a week, we will pay Sharetown for all of the items that we sold that week. Okay. So it's on you to manage the profit margin or manage the spread there. So let's say, so you go out, um, you've batched these things, you know, I'm going to this area. So I'm going to pick up two or three uh, in the evening, you bring them home, you 
clean them up, photograph them, list them on marketplace, on mm-hmm. offer up on Craigslist, like wherever. Yeah, exactly. Is there a price floor that you know that that you have to pay for this inventory once it sells? Like, um, and, and yeah. so you have to kind of mind your markups on top of that. Yep. So Sharetown, they've created a minimum list price for areas like Phoenix, where there's, you know, 15 plus of us within a five hour radius of each other. So they've, they've created a minimum list price that we are required to list in, and then you're provided with the amount that you owe to Sharetown. So you'll see the margin that you'll be able to make and you'll be able to say, okay, I want to make at least this much on this mattress or item. And I'll say, Hey, if you come pick it up, I can take $50 off. My husband and I, we average about $250-ish per item. We're higher inventory reps. And so if we're kind of building up to the max, then we'll be like, okay, let's just focus on turning over. We'll we'll make 100 to 150 bucks per item and just get our inventory turned over. Is and your garage like around, filled with mattresses? <laughs> yeah, it's filled. With, well, and it's not just mattresses. Like we work with all uh, couches beanbag thing. I mean, we work with lots of different items. Okay. Yeah. Frames, bases. So yeah, we started out with just our garage, which was a huge benefit for us because we didn't have to invest in a unit or anything like that. Around a year-ish, we started talking, we should invest in a unit so we can hold more inventory. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking through the big bulky items, like having a vehicle to be able to transport it, having the space to be able to store it while you're waiting for it to resell. Um, you know, Some things to consider here. Definitely. Yes. How is Sharetown tracking this stuff? Or like what happens if you have something that just isn't moving that you can't resell and now you're stuck with this inventory that you didn't have to pay for upfront, but ultimately is there a bill that comes due? So there's not, you won't ever pay for an item until you've sold it. And we've been doing it for almost three years and we've sold through every item we've received. I mean, I had those same concerns and questions. You'll see some brands, like we have a waiting list for when we get a brand, I just text or send out a a message and say, Hey, we just got this in. Did you find what you were looking for? Or were you still wanting it? And it sold, you know, in a matter of seconds. And then there are some brands that not aren't as well known and popular that we kind of hang on to for a little bit longer, but everything has always sold. I've heard from several other members of the Side Hustle Nation community who are doing this, and the consensus is you can definitely make money, but it's not passive by any means. These are heavy, bulky items that aren't necessarily super easy to handle and transport and work with, but the rewards and income potential are definitely there. SideHustleNation.com slash ShareTown is my referral link if you want to see if there's a need for more reps in your area. And I'll also link up my full review along with that interview with Stacy in the show notes. Inspiring Side Hustle number six was Dom and Nicole Draper's voiceover acting side hustle. Together, they run the voiceovercouple.com and their interview in episode 512 was one of the most popular episodes of the year. After all, getting paid to talk, that's a pretty cool gig. Do you have a sense of the take rate or conversion rate from submitting these auditions? Like how out of every 10 auditions that I submit, I'm happy if I book one job or something. Like I don't know what a typical take rate would be. The rule of thumb in the, vo- in the voiceover industry is to just send it and forget it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you get in your head thinking about how many auditions you have and who's how many jobs you're getting, it can be overwhelming and you can get discouraged. I used to be obsessed over it and like literally had to say like, all right, just yeah, just send it. it. You do audition, you audition. And then we realize, you know, we're making enough money for it to be uh, substantial enough. So, I mean, I I could tell you right now, my ratio on voices is like 39 to one. So like about 39 auditions to one booking on, that's what it says on voices, but you get, you know, shortlisting. Yeah. So like, you know, I get shortlisted for a lot of stuff too. So that at least gives you a gauge of what, of how well you're doing. I've done 628 auditions and been shortlisted for 123. But if you're getting shortlisted, that's a good sign that you're on. That's a good sign that you're on the right path. Okay. Those are gigs that you didn't necessarily win, but they liked you enough to star your, star your name, star your audition. 
Exactly. And that means that they can go in that there and see that at any time and say like, oh, you remember this guy? I like this voice and use you for something else. So being shortlisted is still a good thing. It's still not like a, right. you know. Yeah, but this is the, and I'm glad you brought this up. This is the unglamorous, unpaid part of the job. Those 38 auditions that didn't pan out, maybe you got shortlisted, maybe it leads to something positive down the road. But in the near term, it's like, ah, these aren't paying the bills. But hopefully that one that she did, you know, erases all of those in terms of hourly rate and it still makes it worthwhile. And that's why it's important to get good at the editing aspect, because I can kick out 10 auditions in an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. I can kick out 10 to 15 auditions if you're good at actually, you know, booking. And at the end of the day, I I want more and more agents to continue to send me auditions. I'll spend all my days auditioning because that's how you're going to get most of your work. Yeah. If you're a good voice, you're going to get the you're going to get work at the end of the day. And all it takes is a couple of really nice jobs to set you up for the next couple months mm-hmm. to be able to keep doing it. So, yeah, this is the kind of you know, I would equate it to going and sourcing inventory if you're in a thrifting business or flipping for profit business. Or this is the the content creation side. If you're in the blogging or online business side, it's like, well, I'm not getting paid in the near term, but I'm putting in the reps, I'm putting the stuff out there, and I know something is going to hit. Again, that one is episode 512, super inspiring how they started with these $10 gigs on Fiverr and now earn thousands of dollars a month from home. Another episode that got a lot of ears perked up was Vladimir Hernandez's parking lot litter sweeping business in episode 522. It's another simple, low overhead, recurring revenue service business. When we spoke, Vladimir mentioned starting it with the goal of earning an extra $1,000 a month. And now, four years later, it's a six-figure business on the side from his day job. Here's how he got his start. You want to drive around to area parking lots that are in your area and um, see if you could get in contact with one of the tenants there and see if they could have you speak with them. You know, they could give you the number to speak with the manager. So that's what I did. I actually went to one of the plazas that's next to where I live. Basically, I walked in and I was like, hey, my name is Vladimir. I'm a local vendor in the area. My company is specializing in cleaning up litter and debris from parking lots. Um, Do you know who's the manager? They were like, well, the manager's not here. I could give you his phone number. You give him a call. So I gave him a call and I was like, hey, my name is Vladimir from Litter Free Lots. I'm a local vendor in the area. My company specializes in picking up litter, debris. And uh, are you interested in that type of service? He was like, let's schedule an appointment to come to my office and we could talk. So I did. Um, I actually scheduled an appointment with um, with the manager. I went, sat down with him. Okay. And he was like, listen, I have this lot. I have others. And I was like, wow. I was like, <laughs> so from that one lot, was, he had like eight other locations that needed sweeping. So I, that's how I actually started. Well, so it, and he didn't ask for portfolio or references or anything. He's just like, hey, I'll give you, I'll give you a shot on this one. And if you do okay, we'll talk about the rest. Is that how it kind of went down? Yeah. When I went to his office, I was, um, I was dressed professionally and I walked in. I had my business card. I had a little flyer. I handed it over to him and I said, you know, I I gave him a little speech of what I did and I guess he felt confident and he felt some type of connection with me or the vibe he got from me. He felt like I was, he was comfortable with me. And from there, he was just, um, he felt, hey, you know, I'll give this guy a shot, you know. <laughs> did you have an existing service provider? And that's always, you know, with any of these businesses, like, are you coming in? Are you displacing you know, some part of the process that already exists if the business has been around for any length of time, like, or have they just been letting the trash pile up for, you know, years and years? With this um, location that I know it was basically the tenants were sweeping in front of their areas. So whatever is in front of them, they were sweeping. So they, let's say there was like this five storefronts and they were just coming out and they were just doing their area. And uh, as soon as I got on and I started sweeping, you could hear the tenants like the wind was blowing over to my end. But now that you're here, it's so much better. I don't have to deal with this stuff. <laughs> so that's how basically the tenants were doing it themselves. And when I got on and I actually started doing the sweeping, you could see how they how happy they were. And they were basically happy to see someone on the property actually sweeping up. 
Okay. And so early on, it was you going out there early mornings or late at night doing this sweeping and, and litter picking. How did you know how much to charge for that first job? Right. So what I did was I walked around the property and I said, how long would it take me to um, sweep this parking lot? And um, I just, I walked the sidewalks. Uh, I walked inside the parking lot area, just like uh, walking and acting like I was sweeping. And just, I was like, all right. Okay. Okay. I can picture you out there <laughs> with the push broom. <laughs> right. So it was just one of those things where I was just like walking around and I was like, all right. And I had, I remember looking at my phone and I was like, let me see. I, I put a timer on my phone and I was like, let me see how fast I could walk this property. And then I'll hit the stopwatch on the phone. And I was like, all right, to walk this property it took me like 15, 20 minutes. And then I, f- I times it about how many days they wanted daily. This service, they wanted it daily, Monday through Friday. So I was like, all right, it'll take me 20 minutes per day to do this lot. Some days, you know, and that's the average that came, was like 20 minutes to get it done daily. And at, at that point, I was able to like come up with the, with the numbers and how much to charge them. Yeah. What was the hourly rate you were shooting for? So at the beginning, I was trying to shoot for like 35 an hour. So um, that was like my number, and monthly it was coming out to, I'll say four fifty, five hundred bucks a month. At that time, I felt like, is this worth it at that price? But like it was my first account, I felt like, you know what? Let's get in the door first. I felt like let's go ahead and let's just go in and at that price. Yeah, did that end up being too high, too low, just about right? Like if, if the guy signs, <laughs> he's like, oh, shoot, you know, sign me up. Like, oh, I priced too low. The reaction was like, I submitted the proposal for five days and I, I received an email and it was signed. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> so it, I, it went through. It wasn't no, I didn't get, oh, the price is, is too expensive. I didn't get no reaction like that. It was more like I sent the proposal through email. When I turned around, he says, when can you start? And it was, the proposal was signed. And I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I could start Monday. Hey, let's do it. Yeah, I just added 450 bucks a month to buy a bottom line here. Vladimir went on to land dozens of more accounts. And since he couldn't be in multiple places at once, ended up hiring contract sweepers to go out for him and do the work, targeting a 25-75 revenue split with the larger share going to the sweeper on the ground. Pretty inspiring stuff. And I especially like the recurring revenue nature of that one. Again, episode number 522, if you want to go check it out. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. 
So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Next on my list is Craig Odom in episode 527. I connected with Craig through the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group where he had a post and it was something like, oh, I'm selling $10,000 worth of plants from this backyard nursery. Here's a side hustle I bet you haven't considered. Well, it definitely got my attention. And while I think the plant sales business is definitely really cool, what I really liked about Craig's business was that he started working in public and creating YouTube content about the backyard nursery business. In the last two or three months, I mean, I've gained, you know, 8,000 subscribers in the last couple of months. And that's a lot when my total is, you know, 19,000, whatever it is right now. Right. So, you know, it's, it's at least increased by a third in the last two months. Do you have a rule of thumb for how often you're publishing a new video? My goal right now is to publish one every Friday, and I have pretty well stuck to that. And I've got one going tomorrow, and I think it's going to be a good one. That's that's the kind of the game we play. Like, you know, we're going to post it. We're going to go, okay, is this going to be a good one or not? And good to me, kind of average to good mean it means it has 1,000 views by the end of the second day. You know, so uh, I published one just a few weeks ago, maybe five, six weeks ago. And it was, you know, eight reasons why growing plants is the best side hustle ever. Yeah, I definitely watched that one. That one started out pretty hot. And I think long term that that one's going to do really well. And that's the thing about YouTube is just at any time they could pick up one of your videos, even an old one, you know, and start pushing it and, you know, start promoting it. So it's not, hey, I published it today and it got hot tomorrow. And hey, it's going to be great. Most of the time it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's what's cool about YouTube in particular is that it's this evergreen content channel where you just kind of keep planting these little money seeds. And over time, I mean, it's not a news channel. It's not super timely stuff. It's, you know, if it's relevant this year, it's going to be relevant next year. Hosta propagation, that's timeless. Uh, Green giant evergreen screening trees, that's timeless. Uh, How to start a nursery, that's timeless. You know, all of those are things that people are always looking for. And also, you know, worth mentioning as a milestone, we're about to hit 20,000 subscribers. We hit a million views yesterday and we posted our 100th video last week. So there's exactly 100 videos up right now. And I think tomorrow's 101. You know, if you look at the analytics on it, there's kind of a slowly rising curve. And then as the weather starts to warm up and people are looking for a lot more information about nurseries and plants and all of that. Yeah. It really, really took off. I think the the biggest month we had was about twenty five or twenty seven hundred we made. I think it was. I think we got paid that in June, so that would have been for May. Wow! So it lags one month, just the way that YouTube pays. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, every month, April, May, June, and July, they've all they've all been in that range, not not as high as 2,500, but 1,500, 1,800, 1,300 in that range since, you know, since really spring, maybe even starting in March, it really started ticking up in March this year. So now if you look at the analytics now, everything's tailing off, but I'm hoping that it levels off around $1,000 a month going into the fall. It looks like that's kind of where it's headed. You really can't tell yet. And you never know when the next video is going to spike. But if that bottom would be in that $1,000 a month range right now, we'd be really, really happy about that. I love this idea of creating quality evergreen content. Nobody was paying Craig to do that at first, but by putting in the time speculatively to do it, now he's looking at an incremental income stream of 10 to 20 grand a year, and it can grow and scale from there. So that's number eight on this list, the backyard nursery side hustle selling plants, plus the online content business that Craig is stacking on top of it. Again, episode 527, if you want to learn more about his business or check him out on YouTube, the channel is Savvy Dirt Farmer. One of the most popular episodes in recent months was my chat with Jill Teets from Sober Powered Media. It's a podcast network and online business that Jill started as a side hustle with just herself and one podcast and one Instagram account. Now she's doing it full time. But what was probably most inspiring about her story was just the honesty about how hard it is to get people to pay attention to you online and how big of an audience you really need to make traditional advertising work. 
in episode 535, she stopped by to share how she was able to turn a personal struggle of hers, sobriety, into an online business. Trying to convert uh, social followers into podcast listeners is definitely a challenge, but something that she's done well. What do you think was effective in like just growing the following to begin with, like to get more people to be paying attention to that account in the first place? Consistency and perseverance. There were a lot of accounts that grew much faster than me. They blew up. And, you know, me, I'm over here like resentful and jealous. And I'm like, it's just because they're pretty, you know, and they're prettier than me. Or it's because they got lucky and the algorithm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And maybe all that's true. But a lot of the people that blow up really quick also quit just as quick. And then who's left behind is me, like grinding away, you know, <laughs> follow me. Like I, I'm going to give you consistent content all the time. I'm never going to disappear from you. I'm always here. And then when I figured out the carousel post thing, which is how I promote my episodes now, each one of those gets me like thousands of new followers. So that grows my account very quickly. Yeah. And then just relationships with other influencers because we share each other's stuff. So I would say start with relationship building with both your audience and the other influencers and try to rein in the jealousy. Fair enough. Uh, Let's talk through those carousel posts, what they are, how they work, and then how they kind of allow you to reach people outside of your existing followers. Yeah, those are the best. It took me a very long time to get to that iteration of the new episode is outpost. And the first slide of the carousel is usually just my title, but the key is don't say episode, whatever. Don't say podcast anywhere on it. Your goal (laughs) with the carousel is do not let anybody know it's a podcast. Do the opposite of what you think you should be doing. Like whatever you do, don't tell people it's a podcast. So you, the, they see the first slide and they're like, Ooh, this applies to me. I want to learn more about this. And then the second slide has really good information for them. It answers the question of whatever they're wondering about or need to know. Third slide, usually too. Sometimes I'll make like diagrams and I'll like walk them through diagrams and then depends on like each show is each episode is different, but slide like maybe four or five. That's when I hit them with, by the way, (laughs) this is a podcast. Oh my God. You love this information. Well, you're in luck because this is a podcast episode and now you can get even more information just like this. And That converts so many people and it doesn't convert everybody like 100,000 to 200,000 people on average will see these posts. And that's not how many listeners I have, but a lot of them, thousands of new people are following me and hanging out with me. And now I have the opportunity, you know, six months or a year from now for them to give my show a chance. So it's not going to happen immediately, but every time you're going to convert people to listen and you're going to get new followers in. And so that was both building my account and building my listeners at the same time. Yeah. So this is um, Instagram.com slash sober dot powered. If you want to go check out Jill's account over there, you can see some examples of that. I'm on one that says the lead slide is uh, why you aren't ready to quit drinking yet. And they all have like really consistent fonts and colors and branding And so it goes through and you have this little like, you know, fun data chart in here with arrows and stuff. And then at the the very end, it says, learn more in episode 115, you know, why you aren't ready to quit drinking yet, how to get ready. And so this is something that your existing followers can share to their stories. Like talk to me about like the, the viral element, like this is adding thousands of new followers to your account, but like, that's something that I haven't quite cracked yet on Instagram. Yeah. So people will share it because it's beneficial. What most podcasters do or anyone who's trying to take people off Instagram is they're going to make an announcement. Here's my thing. You can go listen to it, watch it, buy it here. Link is in the bio. 
it's going to be so helpful for you. Nobody cares. You know, it's a lot to ask someone to get off Instagram and go somewhere else. So instead I give them some of the information that they want. I can't condense a 15 minute episode into one post, but I can give them some interesting point from the episode that's going to help them. Very inspiring and open conversation on what it's like to try and build up an online audience from scratch and then turn that into a business. Again, episode 535 to check out that whole episode with Jill. And number 10, rounding out this list is a good old fashioned blog, if you could call it that. The inspiring side hustle I have as number 10 is Andrew Fiebert's giftlab.co. We caught up in episode 537 with the question of how do you make money online? Well, you do it by helping other people. And I think Gift Lab is a great example of that. Andrew and his team publish these curated gift idea lists based on long tail search terms with super low competition, helping other people come up with gift ideas for the people in their lives. Our thesis is to avoid competition at all costs, which is why we have opossum gifts and dolphin lover gifts and stuff like that. (laughs) We're going to take the time to write this article that nobody else has. (laughs) And hopefully no one will. And nobody ever will because it's so random. (laughs) Okay. So the keyword difficulty is the primary metric. The first year we didn't make anything. The second year we made a a little over $9,000. My wife was putting a lot of time in. I was putting a lot of time in. And then I think it was like about 40. And then it was really just, it kind of multiplied after that. So it was both with Listen My Matters and Gift Lab. Year three was like the inflection point where, ah, this is a business yeah. Not something that's just like a super time suck. Um, you know, there's all these people that we thought were our competitors who were watching and, um, you know, they'd be like doing really well and then they disappeared. And, and really early on with Listen Money Matters realized that business or an online business, it's like oh, this war of attrition where a lot of times you almost win by continuing to show up and, and staying at it. You win by continuing to show up and staying at it. It was a ton of fun to geek out with Andrew on all things SEO and online business. Gift Lab, he said, has done over a million dollars in affiliate commissions since starting up five years ago. And like you heard, very slow to get started in those early years, but definitely an inspiring story of sticking with it and building what ultimately has turned into a great online asset. If you're new to the show, my hope is that this sampler platter over the last 12 months has given you a little taste and has given you some additional episodes to check out. A few honorable mentions, of course, all of the episodes, all of the guests were incredible, but uh, a few honorable mentions that almost made the cut this week. Number 481 was Kat Norton, uh, better known as Miss Excel Online. She had a great story about building a viral audience and monetizing with online courses to the tune of sometimes thousands and thousands of dollars a day. Jack and Joan Farrell in episode 492, that was a very popular episode on building up a reselling business. And episode 504 featured William Wadsworth from England. And this was another online business case study where he built a business around uh, study habits and exam prep and turned that into a full-time operation. So very inspiring from uh, all of those guests as well. Make sure to hit up the show notes for this episode and you'll find links to all of those episodes and all the resources mentioned. Big thanks to each and every guest this year for sharing their insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Now's the time to get your bookkeeping out of the shoebox and into the cloud with the help of the number one invoicing and accounting solution for freelancers, side hustlers, and service providers everywhere. Just hit up freshbooks.com slash side hustle and you'll get 90% off your FreshBooks subscription for four months. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where we're taking a look at some of the most popular side hustles on TikTok and debunking whether or not they're legit. I'll see you then. Happy New Year and hustle on.